That's beautiful. Something about a choir. Something about human voices. All by themselves, you know. You have these great symphonies. And yet, one person singing with them can be above it all. It's really amazing, the human voice. Well, you know, there's probably a lot of reasons why we come to Christmas Eve services. Sometimes it's nostalgia, and, and sometimes it's tradition, and, and you know, and sometimes it's because it's a deep, it's a deep spiritual thing in your life. And, but one thing for sure that I know, one reason for coming is because God wants you to know something. He wants you to know that He loves you, and I know that concept has been you know, just torn apart. That statement has been torn apart so much. But Christmas is one of these times where we really see the greatest evidence that God loves us. Because he sent Jesus to be a, a living physical example of what God the Father was. Israel had gotten it such a mess. They had turned it into this legalistic, uh, mean-spirited, ugly thing. And Jesus came, and everything he did, and everything he said, and the way that he was, was an example of what God was like. Because he said, if you see me, you see the Father. Uh, so people can have all kinds of theology, I guess, but really, fundamentally, when we see Jesus, we see the Father. And that tells us what God is like, and, and how he is. I'm going to read some scripture out of Luke. It is the... Uh, talking about the birth of Christ, and it goes like this. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Yeah, I would imagine. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. We have to understand that the Jewish people were waiting for their king, their Messiah. It had been 400 years since the last bit of prophecy, or the Old Testament as we call it, was, was written. And they were being uh, taken over. They were taken over by Rome. So they were a repressed people. And they were waiting for their Messiah. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those to whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And then when, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. The way that Jesus was born is so important because even from his very birth, he was showing something about his mission, his purpose, what his attitude was like, and how he felt about people. And the first people that get the announcement that Jesus is coming are shepherds. And, and we've heard a lot of uh, 
talks over Christmas is about the shepherds and about God coming to the shepherds first. But it really is important because shepherds, it was a lonely job. They were stuck out in the field uh, all day, all night with the weather. It was a dirty job. There was animals dung everywhere and they were walking in it and they were smelled like it. It was just a dirty job. And I don't think it's a job that necessarily you'd want to do, but you would probably have to do. Actually, in, in that culture at that time and in the Old Testament time, the shepherds were always the youngest person in the family. It got, it got uh, handed down like clothes. And the youngest always had to be the shepherd, because who wants to do this job, right? That's why when they called David, remember when uh, Samuel came to anoint David to be king of Israel, they said, do you have anyone else? They said, yeah, well, we have this kid, he's out in the field mining the shepherds. He was the youngest, and that's why he was out there. That was David out there. So it was a job you would have to do and be forced to do. And, and, and as far as the social class goes, and they certainly had a social class back then, the shepherds were not at the top of it. So they were not, shepherds would not have been welcomed into the presence of royalty at all. But yet what's so amazing, the royalty of heaven came to shepherds. So interesting. God, Jesus is starting to turn everything upside down. And, and this is the first indication that lets us know that God's ways are not our ways. And Lars, can you turn that down just a bit? It's just, I can hear it up here ringing. So the first people that Jesus invited to come see him were shepherds. And where did they invite? Where did they get invited to? This is, again, so much like God. He invited them to a place, a stable. And what's so incredible about that is that the shepherds would have been very comfortable in a stable. They would have been very unashamed in a stable. If they had been called into the halls of royalty and even into a common house at that point, it would have been very, very uncomfortable for them because they weren't dressed for it, they weren't prepared for it. And there's a, an author by the name of Daniel Strickland that says, talks about Jesus' ministry. And, it's, and she said, beautiful, she says, going, Jesus was always going out of his way to get into the way of those who are on the margin." And that has been Jesus' ministry since the day he started when he was 30 years old. Was going to the people that everyone thought he shouldn't go to. And we still have it the same, we still have the same idea. You know, they're thinking, if you're really God, what are you doing with all these people of such bad lifestyle because he'd have all the tax collectors and not unlike today in some ways tax collectors are a little bit, oh, you know, I don't want to do it but back then it was really bad but Jesus had a lot of these people these outcast people around him and the, the religious order of the day just couldn't get their heads around it they just couldn't understand why God would want to be with these people and you know, we kind of have the same attitude today. We, whenever I talk to someone about God, and, and if they don't know God, 
have not come to a point of knowing God, read scripture, come to a point of investigating the Lord. The first thing that often comes is a sense that they're not worthy, that they're not worthy to come to God. Or they will somehow say, well, I'm not that much of a sinner, or I'm not that bad, or uh, most of the time it's that I'm too bad. So we still have the same attitude that God is somehow looking for perfection. He's somehow looking for uh, the healthy and the wealthy and the good and all of these people. And I don't even know if the good actually exists in the world because Jesus says, no one is good but the Father. So we're all kind of in the same boat here. But it was so beautiful that Jesus would invite the shepherds into a space that would make them feel comfortable. And have you ever walked into a room and you, you just felt uncomfortable? You just felt somehow you, you didn't belong there? Especially a place that's really formal or if there's some big government thing or whatever it is. And you just feel uncomfortable. And you feel inferior. And what we're seeing here is God is coming to those who would feel most inferior and accommodating that so that they would not be ashamed or have that feeling at all. It's a beautiful understanding of God's gentleness and how much He loves us. And you do not have to become something in order to come into the presence of God. You do not have to achieve something. You do not have to have something done right, something perfect, something... You don't have to have any of that. God loves us just the way we are, just the way you are right now. Now, we look at ourselves and we go, oh my heavens. You know, some of us look in the mirror and really see monsters every morning. We really do when we think about ourselves. But the fact is, God sees you as one of his children. And he loves you just the way you are. And so, when... And, and what's beautiful about that is Jesus will come to you just the way you are. We don't have to achieve anything. We don't have to be anything. And it's, it's something we really have to get over in order to actually enter into relationship with God. Can you imagine being married to somebody and every morning you had to get up early and do yourself up before your spouse woke up. Can you imagine? No. I can't imagine. I'll answer that for you. No, I can't imagine. Trust me, it doesn't happen. Um, one little sidebar about that. Do you know Jane Fonda? Everyone knows Jane Fonda. She's very good friends with Dolly Parton. I mean good friends with Dolly Parton. And she said, as good friends as I am with Dolly, and I've stayed in her house and I've everything, I have never seen her not look the way you see her on TV. When she comes out of her room, there it is, right? And for some reason, that's the way her life is. And God is saying, you don't have to do that for God. You don't have to. He knows everything about you. You know, they say that about Santa Claus. He knows when you're good. He knows when you're bad, all that stuff. But God actually does. He knows the very soul of you. He knows your fears and he knows your worries. 
He knows your angers. He knows all of your disappointments. He knows all of your hurts. He knows when you're mad at him. And he's okay with that. A lot of people have been really mad at God. And sometimes in the human aspect, it's totally justified because we just don't understand why some things are happening. But you know what? God's okay with that. He's okay. And he works through those things with us. Just because we don't understand and just because we're angry doesn't mean God is going to step away. Jesus said a beautiful thing. The last thing he said to his disciples, he said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. And there's a lot of people in the world right now, and I think all of us on some level are hungering for a secure source in our life, a secure love in our life that will we never have to worry about it being gone. We never have to worry about it leaving. It's a powerful, beautiful thing. Jesus knew what we were as humans when the last thing he said to his disciples was, I will never leave you and I'll never forsake you. And one of the, the most common admonition from the Lord in the Old Testament and the New Testament is fear not. God is constantly telling us to fear not because he's with us. And if we don't know that he's with us, there's all kinds of reasons to be fearful. Even when he is with us, the world is a crazy place right now. It, it, I guess it's always been crazy, but it's super crazy right now. Like it really is. And there's a whole generation of people coming up that don't know what the heck to expect in their futures. Most of us are of an age here, and we grew up, and we were going to get a job, and then you were going to get a pension, and you're going to buy a house, and you're going to have kids, and guess what? We did it. You know, you just did it. That kind of assurances, those kinds of assurances are not there anymore. We're living in a very fragile time. If ever we need to know that something is going to be with us forever, I, I really do believe it's now. Piece of scripture that we just read, I'll read it again. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven. And on earth, peace to those to whom his favor rests. This is such a wonderful statement. The peace of Christ is what God desires for you and I. It's what tonight is all about. The peace of Christ is, is a type of thing that if we're in the will of God, then we can stop making decisions that are ruining our life. It's one of the beautiful things about having the presence, the knowledge, the Word of God, because it guides us and it stops us from making ridiculous decisions. And you see them, you've made them, I've made them. We see people making all the decisions that are just ruining their life. It's because they have no one to really speak to the depths of them, where God resides in us, to say, don't do that. That's a, it's amazing because you think of the, the 12 step program AA when you think of this program this is revolutionized it had revolutionized since the early 19th century when it was started by two Christian men it has revolutionized the whole getting sober process and it starts the first thing it starts with is to recognize that there is a God greater than yourself and then, that that God is a benevolent God. Totally revolutionizes. All of a sudden, 
people are able to get off the booze. It doesn't work all the time, but it does work much, much more than any other program that we've seen. And it starts with that understanding of the will of God in our life. The peace of Christ for us is to be confident of his power to deliver us so that troubles don't push us away. So many troubles come into our life and difficulties, and it pushes us away, and it makes us scared, and it makes us not believe, and it makes us doubting, and it makes us to curl up in a ball in our life and just not dare do anything. That's what it does. But to know that there is a power available that it can strengthen you, protect you, and be with you, this is an extremely freeing thing. You, can, you don't have to be foolish about it. I mean, you, you take precautions where precautions are, are necessary, especially with COVID and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, but in, the, in the life, in our life, and when we look down the road of our life, we know that there is a power that can get us through it. There are people in this room, and not people that I know personally, but I know stories of the fact that the last two, three years, they got through stuff that in the middle of it, they never, ever thought they'd come through it. Never thought they'd come through it. But we come through it. And I've come through stuff in the last two years that I never, in the middle of it, never thought I was going to get through it. And I, I have a, what I would say is somewhat of a, an established faith in my life. But you can get right in the middle of the muck of life and absolutely have no faith at all, none at all. And God says in his word, he says, even if you are unfaithful, I am faithful. Because I cannot deny myself. Meaning he won't deny us because he's in us and he will keep us. And boy, oh boy, there's times it did not feel like that. God didn't run away because there was no faith. He didn't say, well, obviously you are not uh, a child of God. And obviously you don't have the faith to do this. So I'm just going to go find somebody else who does. He didn't do that. He stayed through the thick of it. And I'm standing here today and you're sitting here today. It's an amazing thing. Miracles are not so instantaneous sometimes. Sometimes they take a long time. A long time. But as you look back, you go, holy cow, how did that happen? The peace of Christ is to be aware of his goodness, that we are not upset about the unfairness of life. Isn't it true? There's so much unfairness. There's so much going on that's unfair. And there's people in this room I know who work in, in jobs that see the depths of unfairness. What humanity does to humanity. It's, it's just it's unspeakable sometimes. I don't know about you, but I've had to stop watching the news. You, you, you just got to. When you see the display of what's going on, and, and you know what? It's in those times that we look at it and see the unfairness of life and just thank God that there is the opportunity for goodness because we can go and change it. We can take God's goodness into situations of unfairness. We won't solve the whole world's problems, but you might solve one. You might solve one. And that's all that matters. That you're able to take the goodness of God, which is simply the fact that 
God loves you. God is with you. God wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to live inside of you. He wants to take you and love you. That's it. And you know what? If anything needs to be changed in your life, if anything needs to be changed, God will let you know about it. He really will. Um, a lot of people, you know, walking through the door of a church, they have to meet some kind of a, a okay, you can come in. And that is not the way it works as we saw with Jesus and the shepherds. It is not the way it works. If anything needs to be changed, God will let us know about it. Through, and very gracefully. You know, good parenting takes your child aside, it doesn't whack them, and doesn't do crazy things like that and abuse them. Good parenting would tell you that you get to some place where you can get on the same level with them, and you take yourself down to where they are so they can understand what you're saying. It's not that God's up here screaming commands that we don't understand. God will come down and he'll speak to us in ways we can understand. He'll bring us to him in ways that we are comfortable and we can understand. It's a beautiful thing. It's the love of a parent. That's what God has. That kind of peace, if we're able to get a hold of that, that kind of peace is going to get you through anything. It's going to get you through absolutely anything. One of the uh, things about faith, and I'll end with this, but one of the things about faith, I was watching a documentary about uh, the concentration camps of Germany. And there was someone speaking, uh, he was a Jewish survivor, and he had written a book afterwards. And, and I don't know how he got this information, but they, he said more people found faith in the concentration camps and lost it. Which is so strange. It seems so opposite to what you would think. But it's in the toughness of life that we find God. It's when we're at the extremities of ourselves and something happens. A situation has changed. A truth is dropped into you. A dream is given to you. Someone says something to you. And all of a sudden, a light comes in you, a strength to go on, a truth to lean on, a hope to look forward to. This is the medicine of God. This is how God speaks to us. And when you think of the difficulties that we go through in life, those are the places that we find the greatest thing. And it's so hard. It's just so hard. And I wish it weren't that way. But as a species, we're pretty dull. We we need to be hit pretty hard before we go, oh, we just really do. And you say, well, how do you know that? Look at the world around you. And you just look at what's going on. And you go, okay, that's true. But it's with love that God looks down on us. It's with love that he's looking down on us tonight. John 16 says, and this is Jesus speaking. He said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. And everyone said, Amen. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And if we are walking with Jesus, we will overcome also. And what does overcome look like? 
Well, it doesn't look like skipping through the daisies of life singing songs of joy. It doesn't always look like that. Thank God that there are those moments. Thank God that there are those times where you look at a sunrise and you're just absolutely inspired by it and God speaks something to you. Uh, or you're looking at the ocean and it's sparkling and it's just so beautiful and something just, it just does. Nature is God's voice to us. It really is. If we really want to know what God's like in some ways, just look at nature, the complexity and the beauty and the, and the unity and synchronicity of it. But nonetheless, Jesus was telling us, telling us, you're going to have trouble in this world. You are. But he's the one who can get us through the trouble. And all it is is a simple thing. In Joy to the World, it says, Joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king. And you know, that day is coming. I won't get into a bunch of time phrases, but I'm telling you. The time is coming where we will see that king come. But it says, let every heart prepare him room. And how do we do that? The shepherds had a lot of time to think. They had a lot of time to look at the stars and think about God, think about their life, think about their future. And, you know, tonight, when we lay our head down and we sleep, you know how the thoughts go through your day, you know, and you're just there. If something comes back to you both tonight and about this talk, make room in your heart. Just say yes to God. You don't have to understand it all. You don't have to agree with it all. You just have to want it all. And God will come in in the way that He does with everybody as an individual. And we'll start guiding. And we'll start helping us understand the things that are just so beyond our understanding. And will give us peace in the midst. And that's why Jesus came. That's why he came. So that we would know. And it's well, the final thing I say. Frankincense, gold, and myrrh. They brought those things. One speaks of royalty. The incense speaks of the... Uh, religious ceremonial action and myrrh was used as a, a, an ointment that they would put on a body when it's dead and how strange it must have been to Mary to get myrrh and of course they were looking forward to the day when Jesus would die for your sins and my sins because God wants to have a relationship and he loves you and he made a way for that to happen through Christ. It's that simple. So, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for what you've said to us tonight, that you love everybody here. Lord, you love them. And Lord, I pray that we'll go out of this place, maybe knowing a little bit more about what Christmas is, maybe a little bit more about you, and maybe inviting you a little bit deeper into our lives as we leave this place in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's always a tradition to sing Silent Night, a cappella. I don't have a candle. Um, but you guys do. Oh, thank you, Ron. So, here's what we need. I'm going to light the candle. And then what you can do, you've got candles all around you. If you want to just light your candles and pass it on to the person that's uh, 
inside you. And uh, if everyone goes up in the ball of flame, we have fire extinguishers back there and one by the bathroom. Bill Lab, one year, someone, a woman's hair caught on fire. That was a scene. Lucky it was real hair. It would have been still trying to put it out. So this is symbolic of spreading the light of the gospel. Okay, Larry. It's always tough to start it because if I start it too high or too low. If you want to stand and we'll just sing. So I there you go. If you could put the first verse up. So you singers, if you want to start it.
thank you for coming tonight. It was so good to see everyone. And uh, I really hope you have a great Christmas. And that uh, 2023 will be a little bit better than 2022. But uh, thank you for coming and uh, Merry Christmas. You can just drop those in a container at the back on your way out if you want.